This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. All right, guys, today I've got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Brian Sumner. So he was born in Liverpool, England, and he made a name for himself in the UK as a skateboarder. And then he became a professional skateboarder, came to the United States at the age of 15 to join Tony Hawk's Birdhouse Skateboards teams. Uh, I mean, guys, this guy had an amazing career. He he came at the right time. This is really when skateboarding was exploding in the United, United States and really all over the world. And he had a very successful 20-year career skateboarding. But at kind of the height of his skateboarding fame, he got married, had a kid, his marriage fell apart, and he has this really great story of how God kind of saw him through that moment because he actually set out on a journey to prove that life was meaningless, that there was no God, there was nothing like that. And as with a lot of guys that set out to do something like that, God snatches him up and now he's an evangelist, a pastor, a speaker. He's the host of the Foolishness Podcast and he's also the author of a marriage book called Never Fails Marriage Book. And guys, this was a really, really, really fun interview. Okay. We talked about some cool stuff off air and I'm like, man, I need to go ahead and start hitting record so we can get into all this. We spent a lot of time talking about MMA. He knows a ton about MMA. He knows a bunch of MMA fighters personally. Uh, you know, I asked him who he thinks the goat is and all that. We get to talking about jujitsu because he's been training jujitsu a lot now, now that he's not skateboarding as much. We talk about his family. We really go into a lot of detail about that time in his life when he was suicidal and, and God literally pulled him out of all of that and showed himself to him. And, you know, it was just an amazing uh, time of his life. And that's really springboarded him into the career that he has now. Uh, he and I are probably going to be doing some more stuff down the road, so I'll keep you guys up to date and up to uh, up to snuff with all that, and it's going to be a lot of fun, I can just tell you guys, but you're really, really going to enjoy this interview. I'm not going to keep him from you any longer, so without further ado, let's get into it. Brian Sumner, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Hey man, I'm stoked, excited, jump in, hang out with you today, ready to go. It was a lot of fun. And I just got to tell you to our audience, I'm so sorry I didn't hit record like 10 minutes ago when we first started talking because we basically did like an entire <laughs> podcast about a bunch of awesome stuff. But we're going to get into a lot of different subject matter today. I'm really appreciative to have you on. Mm. But probably the most important place to start, the most generic place to start is kind of how you your name became more relevant around yeah. the globe. And that was because of skateboarding. And so yeah. you are one of the few people on the planet that made a career out of skateboarding, right? A lot of people yeah. want to, a lot of people pretended to, a lot of people would like to think they could do that. But <laughs> most of your career, uh, you were known for being a skateboarder. So yeah. let's just start generically as yeah. possible. For a kid growing up in Liverpool, England, what got you into skating and how did that kind of like project you on into doing it professionally? Uh, well, I guess even knowing your audience, I'll hit on some funny trigger points. And what got me into skating, believe it or not, listeners, is the movie Police Academy 4. Okay. <laughs> you know, I'm a kid in England. America's kind of making its way over. You've got married with children, the Simpsons, the WWF. The Police Academy movies, for whatever reason, were huge. I watched that film, saw the skating. I thought it was all Hollywood and stunts, you know, jumping trash cans, grinding stuff, whatever else. Then I'm on vacation in New Jersey, my first time in America, and I seen a guy ollie up a curb outside a surf shop. I was 12, 13 years old. I fell in love with skating. And so literally for me, going back to Liverpool, which, you know, we, we joked around earlier prior, we'll jump into that, but Liverpool is kind of like a rough city, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of unemployment. It's a docking place. It was one of the most famous cities in the world at one time. 
a lot of kind of violence, aggression, craziness, but it's a big loving city at the same time. It's kind of crazy. I was getting into some bad stuff. Skating showed up in my life at the right time. It kind of gave me a different life where, you know, you had different friends, you focused on different things, even a different fashion sense. It was all influenced from America, you know, baggy clothes and that. Mm -hmm. So there I am in England, you know, book tooth kid, having no clue about life, finding skateboarding. And that became my religion. So, yeah. Well, let me, let me kind of play into that a little bit because obviously yeah. we talked about Darren Till and Patty the Batty and some people that you kind of ran around with or yeah. people that if you were living back in jolly old England that you would be, you know, you know, going around and, my and friend hanging out with. friends with them all. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So I guess that's my question is, so let's, let's say yeah. you didn't find skateboarding or let's say you did what I did the first time with the skateboard yeah. when I tried to go down a driveway and it skidded <laughs> out from underneath me and I landed on my butt and I'm like, I think I'm going to stick to baseball. I think baseball yeah. might be my sport. Wh- what do you think would have happened yeah. in your life? Like, where do you think your life would have turned? I know we're just yeah. kind of pretending we have no idea, but crystal no. ball it for me. That's a really interesting question because if you and me are in school at 11, 12, 13, here's what's happening. Our older brothers and sisters are starting to take acid, starting to do drugs mm-hmm. and the prodigy ecstasy, mm-hmm. the rave scene and all that house music stuff. You know, I'm 42. So I'm older than Darren Till, obviously way older than Patty the Batty. I wouldn't have known them, but I'm saying, Darren Till lived the street over from me. Patty mm-hmm. the Batty is in that area. My friends are friends with them to this day. And so for me, there's you and me in school. What would we have done? We would have either probably started getting into some drugs, partying, raging. You know, people don't get this. It's, it's a lot around the world. But Liverpool, obviously the Beatles, it's such a music town. The Bob Marley, Pink Floyd kind of Jimi Hendrix smoking weed, hanging out lifestyle. It's there. So either I would have gone into that, which I think I would have ended up, um, you know, would I have been a guy on drugs doing crazy stuff, or I was super passive aggressive, as most people in England are. I joke when I'm preaching, especially, that we're all soccer hooligans. Everyone's so ready to go that you're you're almost like passive aggressive anyway. And if I could have gone back, I would have got into MMA for sure. I mean, that's, that's my vice. I love it. And I'm thankful for skating, but I'm just saying Liverpool, a lot of my friends, or dead or in jail, got in gangs, or got away from it all and just lived a casual life. So for me, it probably would have been way worse than if I'd started skating, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it is an interesting thought experiment because I grew up in kind of a rough town in Southwest Oklahoma, you know, military Mm -hmm. town, but also a lot of proud people that lived in that area, very diverse. And so, you know, I could have, you know, gotten mad when I was 13, my parents got divorced and you kind of went that Mm. crazy path. And the thing is, is we all have parallels that we grow up with. And so you kind of see like, if you would have studied harder, you kind of would have gone this path and been more like this kid. If you Mm. would have just fallen completely off the radar, you would have kind of gone this way. And around that same time is whenever I became a Christian. So it's like, okay, you're learning how to become a man. <laughs> learning how to become a Christian. And I definitely want to get more into kind of the whole manhood side later. Yeah. But I guess the curious thing, so I don't want to, you know, divert too far off of skateboarding. Yeah. I mentioned baseball earlier. The gap between being really, really good at baseball mm. and being a professional is like as far as the East is from the West. Because yeah. I mean, yeah. some of the best baseball players I've ever seen with my own eyes didn't get to, you know, the middle of the minor leagues, right? Yeah, so yeah. In, in the world of skateboarding, help me yeah. understand as a non-skateboarder, but a kid that grew up watching the X Games, yeah. the do tour and all those types of things, what is the difference between a kid that's just a good kid that, you know, rides his board around yeah. LA and all that versus somebody that makes a living at it? Honestly, I would say it's almost like circumstance. And here's what I'll qualify for the listeners. I grew up on Bruce Lee, you know, okay. people getting into fights, craziness. I mean, 
My dad would be cutting wood in the attic, doing whatever, and he would have a punching bag with carpet in it or paper. He'd have me hitting it, saying numbers out loud, watching Bruce Lee films, not because he wanted me to get in a fighting or not. I just liked all the movement and everything. Mm-hmm. So now I'm 12, 13, right around the age I'm skating. And again, this question, it just makes sense. Um, I'm reading the Tao of Jeet Kune Do. I'm reading all of Bruce's books. I'm hearing about philosophy and all these mindsets that, of course, he grew up around and hearing and the influence of it, man, and Eastern culture and all the rest of it. And so he, his writings literally said, martial arts or Kung Fu, this is the art, the craft, the vehicle that shapes you. I heard that and I thought, okay, skating is what shapes me. That guy in the woods with the chopsticks who catches a fly, you know what? It's not about catching the fly. It's that's his focus. And Bruce's focus was martial arts. And my focus was skateboarding. And I'm saying that to say, I literally said, okay, it's either getting high, partying, raging on drugs, crazy, just like my friends, or I just aim at this skateboard. This is all I know. And my OCD, my focus to summarize what you're you're asking me, what's the difference? I was in the right place at the right time. There was a couple of skaters that came out of Liverpool and England, guys like Jeff Rowley, Tom Penny, very famous skating made its way over to america and they were looking back to england to say who could be next well right then i'm hitting you know puberty i'm a teenager i'm skating six seven hours a day mm-hmm. i'm winning contests i'm in the magazines i was just so conditioned that i was better at performing than people but would i say i was way more talented no but there are people that are just that the skaters today even when you bring it to MMA standard, when you know Conor McGregor talks about talent or not and all the rest, mm-hmm. there's guys like Shane O'Neill when they skate that I can never do certain things that they do, but my hard work got me known enough where when I had black hair and I was kind of a bit darker and I wasn't a believer and I have an English accent and my pro shoe has the Union Jack on mm-hmm. and I ride for Tony Hawk, Brian Sumner's name's going to be everywhere. Would I stand out on a, co- on a course skating around? Sure, but... The gap, it varies, but a lot of it was timing. What town were you in? You know, for you, you might have missed out because you weren't in California with me. But if you came out and hung out with me and stayed on the couch, oh, who's this guy from Oklahoma? Oh, he can do these five tricks. Hey, here's a photo. And then it's up to you to take it. So hard work matters. I don't think I was a t- – I think my kids are way more talented than I am. Right. And then you only need to look, look at guys like BJ Penn and people, you know, Marcelo Garcia. Sure. There's things about them that are just – you know, the prodigy was very different. So when they just move different. And so like you could, uh, you know, you could black out BJ Penn in a grappling match and figure out it's BJ Penn when he gets, gets into that rubber guard or something like that. And I was thinking, as you were saying that, like everybody knows what Tony Hawk looks like, but like Bucky Lassick was a guy that I was like, he just looks different when like his moves are just different. He had his own style. He's super positive, but you know, on Tony Hawk, he's amazing. Bucky is shocking. One of the best to ever do it, but not as famous as Tony. Yeah. Right. And I mean, great on the vert ramp and kind of when Tony wasn't really doing vert competitions anymore Bucky was kind of cleaning up and so you know I'm trying to you know keep everything straight in terms of timing but with Tony Hawk the cool thing about him is like you were riding for Birdhouse right and so that was Tony Hawk's company and he was the name brand he was the Michael Jordan of skating but I guess here's the thing is there are a lot of people that are famous for being good but they're not the best Right. So I'm trying to think of a good example. So maybe Conor McGregor is it. I'm a big Conor McGregor fan. He's not the best 155 pounder ever, but he's certainly the biggest. He's the one that, you know, the world revolves around, you know, three weight divisions kind of revolve around whatever he tweets. Right. But I guess give me an idea. How good is Tony Hawk? Like we know about the 900. We know the video games. How good was he really? 
Tony's that good. Tony is shocking. Um, Tony, you know, he'll tell you he was the nerdy kid that they made fun of because he just mastered tricks. Yeah. And then skating caught up. And see, I kind of have like Tony Pride in a way where people look down on him because he did the McDonald's thing, the bagel bite things, all the right. rest. He sold out and blah, blah, but blah. But see, real integrity is doing what you want to do. So Tony mm -hmm. was like, hey, I want to do this. I want to take skating beyond that. We would go on tour. And Tony's probably way older than I am, you know. And we would go to a demo and he would drop into like a 540. And he just did like the craziest amount of tricks on his birthday. So I don't know that anyone's ever done as much for skating, obviously like a Rodney Mullen or someone. But Tony is that good where every time he skates, it's crazy. Now, is yeah. he going to do nollie backside flip body jars like Bucky? Is he going to do front side 360 heel flips, turn him with it like Bucky? No, but Tony's going to skate that good every time. To, to your point, Conor McGregor, is he going to be a better wrestler? You know, coming from Oklahoma, no way. No, His wrestling, no English guys, we, did Bisping have great wrestling? He had to nope. work on it. The Darren Till, he had to work on it. You know, mm -hmm. when he was with Kelvin, obviously one thing. But I'm saying Conor had that left. No one knew what he could bring yet. He had those few moments where the first few fights, he tagged everyone with that left. He had, he had a very Bruce fencing style right. that opened the door. Ireland got on board. And so Conor now has almost got to catch up and prove Tony never had to do that. Tony just skated, and he was that. So when I see Tony Hawk footage today, I'm like, he's amazing. I don't care about Vert, really, but I'm backing Tony Hawk in that aspect, you know? So Yeah, and I yeah. think it's interesting, too. Like, a lot of people love to look back, especially these kids these days. They'll look back on stuff that Tony Hawk was doing and be like, oh, that wasn't that impressive. The reason <laughs> is is because nobody was doing those things until Tony Hawk. Like, I remember Ryan Metzger. So yeah. he was a, he was a, a guy motocross guy. Yeah. He was the first guy to do a backflip in competition. And then I remember sitting in my dad's living room and he did a backflip and then went right into another dirt uh, ramp and did another backflip. And yeah. I was like, okay, it can't get any better. So here's, here's my question to you. How much further can skateboarding actually go? Because eventually we've got to reach the end of what can be human, what a human body can do on a board. I mean, are we just going to be building bigger mega ramps and doing bigger stuff like that? Like, I feel like we're getting towards the end or am I crazy? I mean, Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun, but I'm telling you, the stuff they're doing today, like, again, people like Shane O'Neill, I mean, even Niger, you know, right. people just go off on Niger because he's wearing spandex at some times, and he had his <laughs> ESPN, you know, whatever, with, like, a tattoo on his rear end. But I'm the guy who's like, you know what? Um, he works hard. He puts the time in. The things he does in contests, I can't imagine people being that much better, but it just keeps progressing. It's almost like... And I don't know because if you look at MMA, someone was making a point the other day in the gym how many single legs there was in the last UFC or how many of this choke mm -hmm. or whatever. And is it that everyone's focusing on one thing and seeing what works right then? Like the John Jones leg kicks, you know, the foot stomps right. it used to be. Um, I mean, for anything, just, just to jump all over the place, which I like that we're doing, the first thing someone should have said to Connor is, dude, get the best wrestler in the gym. and spend right. Because when Chad Mendes came in, two weeks notice, he almost – Ruined sure. shop. And yep. that's Chad Mendez, way smaller, big payday. You know what I mean? So but he had no gas tank. And so, like, if he could have kept taking him down, if he had had an eight-week camp, then he could keep taking him down. But look at, I mean, here we are. It kind of seems like we're crapping yeah. on Connor, but the low yeah. calf kicks. Right. Yeah. The, the low calf kick is, is a technique that is so devastating. It's so devastating. Yeah. It's annoying to me, but it's kind of <laughs> like, you know, I remember when Benson Henderson was first doing that before he was even Strike champion. And I, whatever, yeah, yeah. And it's like, why is he doing that? Like, 
everyone knows you kicked the quad dummy. Right. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah. here we are. And it's like, you know, you, you almost saw it in uh, mighty mouse versus Hudo, their yeah, second yeah, fight, yeah. you know, like that That's second fight almost didn't get out of the first round because, you know, Cejudo took that low calf kick and his foot decided not to work anymore. Yeah, and I've experienced yeah. that kick. It freaking sucks. Yeah. But that's just kind of the thing is I'm always curious where it's <laughs> going to be because, you know, I go back and watch some fights from whenever, because I started watching the UFCs whenever you could go to Blockbuster yeah. and, you know, rent the rent the movie. And it's like, yeah. okay, we had a guy with one boxing glove on that had no wrestling <laughs> and you have people that can't work a guard. But look over the, you know, I don't know when this is going to come out, but here recently Francis Ngannou just beat Cyril Gunn by wrestling. Of Slam, all things, and then he, using jujitsu and right. Well, who's, like, this, who's your who's your favorite fighter then? I mean, because you know your audience is all in on this. Who's your favorite guy? Well, so it's hard for me to say my favorite. It's it's more so like guys that I will stop what I'm doing to watch. Mm -hmm. So like a Chris Weidman or a Frankie Edgar, yeah. I love those guys so much that when another fighter beats them, I will hate that fighter forever. It's like, <laughs> I, I will never support that other fighter. Right. But I'll stop what I'm doing to watch guys like that. So what about for you? Who are the guys? Cause you know, it's kind of easy if you were to say Darren Till or Patty, the baddie, but who are those people where you're stopping? Valentina's one for me. Joanna's mm -hmm. one for me. Like, yeah. you know, they're just so incredibly skilled. Uh, but for you, who are some of the fighters you stopped? Well, even what watch? you said is funny because, you know, came from England, Liverpool to get away from the party rage scene. I wasn't a citizen when I came to America. Mm -hmm. All my friends start kind of getting high partying because they're all Americans. What do I do to kind of avoid that? I go to Blockbuster and I get a load of Sour Patch Kids and I rent <laughs> UFC. That's right. So who was my first guy? I literally put him on the TV last night. Don Hoist. Fry. No, oh, Don Hoist, Fry, of course. Yeah. But look, yeah. Don Fry and those fights and knee by Fry and the mustache and the, and the mustache, American. Baby. So it was Don yeah. Fry. And then it was kind of like, you know who I loved? It was Krokop. I mean, sure. obviously all the pride days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved Machida. You've got a more wrestling background than I love kind of the striker that can do it. But um, there's just, I, yeah, I mean, I love DC. For the size of DC to what he did to Josh Barnett, for the oh way gosh. he slammed people. I just appreciate the competition, and I guess I'm, I'm, you know, I live in Huntington, so I'm around, you know, Rafael and Kings. I see all these mm -hmm. guys everywhere. I'm really good friends with Benil Dariush, and I seen Giga the other day. I see Marvin Vittori. I go talk to all these times guys as well and share my faith. You know what I mean? I want to be yeah. around those guys as a guy that's in the MMA, and I've known Dana for years. Like went and stayed with Dana for days, just me and him about 15 years ago or so went to ufc's witnessed to certain people who came to faith it was crazy so yeah well it's my advice yeah <laughs> well i got i gotta ask you so well, well don't worry guys we'll get back yeah, into yeah. all the other stuff we're supposed to yeah. talk about but i'm always curious when i talk to people that that understand fighting because for me i was into the early ufc's i missed the pride in WEC days because I was playing ball and I, I just missed yeah, it. Yeah. So I, I I will sit on my back porch <laughs> with a cigar and a whiskey, turn on Fight Pass and just watch old oh. uh, Pride and stuff Fedor. like that. Like when Crow Cop was Crow Cop and when Fedor yeah. was Fedor and like when Dan Henderson was Dan Henderson. Gomez, punt, gut punches, yeah. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So in mm -hmm. your opinion, yeah, who is the MMA GOAT? Who is the greatest of all time? And you can define that however you want because I have a very specific answer to this, okay? So I want to know, in your opinion, above all else, as of right now, as of the recording yeah. of this, recording this in January 2022, who is the GOAT? It's obvious. It's Fedor. Fedor? <laughs> yeah. He has I'm like a thousand losses. No, here's why. Here's why. Um, so he comes out like he's like – mad that someone banned his food or something he strolls down to the octagon <laughs> right. or whatever you know or not the octagon pride 
he was here's why I say this. He was able to change the fight like no one else. If you watch the Kevin Randleman fight, he had respect yeah. for people. His unorthodox kind of hooking almost like Giga's punches. Um, Krokop was meant to destroy him. Nagera mm-hmm. was meant to destroy him. The people he fought and he still fought. Why did he stay in, in Redoom's triangle? I don't know. Why did he get tagged a couple times? I would say in the A era, couple times. Yeah, but I'm a saying if you look at his times. lineage, he didn't lose anything. And then he was going against bigger guys. He wasn't. I'd say I'd, I would have said him in the Pride era, but now, I mean, what, look at Khabib. You know what I mean? Did Khabib almost lose that fight? Possibly, I forget who it was against years ago. You know where the um, the, the judging was a little bit sketchy. And um, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you this: some of my friends who were up there up north where DC is, my buddy who's a check mat black belt, high level, six three six four. And I'm like, what is it like rolling with Khabib? And he's like, Brian, it is it is the most ridiculous amount of pressure. Yeah. This guy, I mean, I'm six, you know, I'm I'm six foot. I'm a wide guy. I'm 220, 225, 240 sometimes if I want to be. Mm. This guy is way bigger than me. And he said, Khabib's pressure is so perfect. It's like he's shaped just to do what he does exactly. Mm-hmm. And then he dropped Connor. And the other thing, so I had to say, you could have said Khabib. And I go, of course. But also, here's the deal. John Jones didn't ever hit his potential, and then you've got the roid issues, you know, and the cocaine mm-hmm. issues, and then I don't think Fedor ever took anything. He could change a fight fast, and he beat everyone's heroes. So I go in the legend status. Him, um, who who do you go with? I mean, what's the probably going to well, go with me, lighter weight? Yeah, Brian, I feel like we're we're going to be good friends, but let me just explain to you how you're super duper wrong. Okay, yeah. so Fedor. <laughs> Fedor in pride probably had one of the most impressive stretches we've ever seen, but his career didn't end there. Okay. And when you're talking about goat, you can't take a a chunk of someone's career. You can't take Anderson Silva's title reign. You have to take everything into account. Same thing with Habib. Okay. Yeah. Habib, his first like 20 fights were against his cousins over in Russia. Yeah. Like he was yeah. fighting Russian tomato cans. Like if he had spent, you know, uh, if he hit 25 fights in the UFC, he might be the consensus favorite. John Jones, it, I've scored all his fights. He lost that first fight to Gustafson. Uh, yeah, I had yeah. it 48 47, Gus. Yeah. He lost uh, to Tiago Santos on my scorecard. He lost yeah. to Dominic Reyes. And so, uh, and so these are guys that I was like, okay. You can't be the goat, and then there's also the roid issues and the mm-hmm. just being a complete jack wagon outside of all that. And you you get into Mighty Mouse, but Mighty Mouse has fought three hard guys his entire life: Henry yeah. Cejudo, uh, Dominic Cruz, yeah. and uh, another guy. And he's like three and two in those fights. So for me, for my money, is if it, we're is talking it a wrestler, shut up, man. Is it a wrestler? I, I'll build it up on my own. All right, I'll do my own crescendo. But if you take everything into account. When you take losses, mm-hmm. when you take avenging losses, when you take who they are inside the octagon, outside the octagon, their respect that they get everywhere else, the number one goat of all time, George St. Pierre. Oh, how did I forget about George? I know. I'm just, how'd how you did I forget about, about it's George? It's because he's Canadian. We don't really like Canadians. You know what, but- though? It's funny because I think when he fought, was it Johnny? Um, Hendricks, yeah. I think he was roided out of his mind, and that's why George is like, I'm done. Because George is the sweetheart of a man, um, devoted. When we were all wondering, why is he retiring? What's Mm -hmm. the issue here? I think that was completely it because Johnny never looked the same. Johnny, right? Or Jimmy? Which one? No, it was Johnny Hendricks. As soon as USADA came in, he couldn't make weight. Uh, He he had no power. He had gas and everything. Yeah. And and so, of course, George, um, I think I just took for granted at the time because 
that was the, almost the pride era where I'm seeing the Crow Cops and the striking and growing up liking Bruce Lee and watching No Retreat, No Surrender, The Last Dragon. I wanted to see the striking. Yeah, I mean, George, I can't even believe I forgot George. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and the thing is, is like, so you watch some of his fights. It's like, okay, people are like, oh, he's just going to take you down and, and lay and pray. But it's like, he would outstrike strikers. He would out wrestle wrestlers. He would out grapple grapplers. Avenge and, losses. Yeah. Right. And, and the thing is, is his two losses, he avenged and he avenged them brutally. Yeah. Right. He yeah. took Matt Sarah, uh, not seriously enough. He came back and absolutely <laughs> destroyed him. He was way too young when he went and fought Matt Hughes for the first time. Came I back and absolutely embarrassed. Yeah. He just absolutely embarrassed him the second yeah. time around. Yeah. And then coming back again, Michael Bisping, in my opinion, was kind of a paper champion at 185, kind of an easy deal yeah. for GSP to come back, but he comes back, knocks him down and finishes what? him. Guys who fought Bisping though, if you listen to Chael Sonnen, he says Bisping hit the hardest. Which is crazy because Mike kind of went under the radar for a while where they were like, he wasn't K and anyone do whatever. Right. Then you see that TV thing they did, which kind of talks about his life. And he's kind of, you know, and I've met Mike a couple of times. He's kind of that, you know, he lived probably an hour or so from Liverpool. Yeah. But I thought Mike might even take that fight. And when George beat him, and then again, you know, here's a sad thing I feel like about MMA. If you listen to George, George is going to tell you that Nick Diaz to him should have been the champ long ago. If you watch the George right. fight with him, it was like Nick didn't really know what he was even doing for three rounds. Right. And then when he gets going, he kind of starts – because to me, the Diaz's have never had a game plan. They're just like, what's up, oh bro? If They're they would so have annoying. had a game plan – and again, even BJ Penn, if he would have had more of a game plan with his ability in jiu-jitsu, the Diaz, and, and I mean, yeah, I mean well – Brian, it's interesting. I, I just drew this connection while you were talking. Yeah. You basically admitted earlier without saying as much yeah. that you weren't the most gifted skater. You just yeah. outworked everybody. Yeah. George St. Pierre has some physical gifting, <laughs> but he just flat out outworked everybody else because the maybe the most gifted fighter ever is BJ Penn. He had he had flexibility, gas tank, and power. Like yeah, that, yeah. that doesn't happen. Yeah, Cause uh, yeah. people ask me, why does Connor get so tired? I'm like, cause God can only bless someone so much. Yeah, he can't yeah. give you the kiss of death in your left hand and also give you yeah. Max Holloway's cardio. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, do do, yeah. do you feel like that's a fair comparison for, for like a GSP? It's like, he oh, just yeah, outworked yeah. everybody. He did. And it, and it was a discipline. And really for me, not that I was anywhere near obviously doing any of this stuff, but I really realized early on when I was reading those Bruce Lee books, tennis players, um, sports got a lot of baseball guys sadly some were just natural freak accident mm. um, athletes could do whatever but tennis players were super driven mm -hmm. you get an athlete that's like a tennis player and normally even you quoting wrestlers this is frankie this is chris weidman this is and even sean shirk back in the day they Muscle were just shirk, yeah. absolute beasts because mm -hmm. they were like that tennis player mindset and also for me i get to america guess what i'm not a citizen i might be going home i break my ankle I haven't got time to sit around partying, raging, doing whatever. So to me, it was more, I've got to be disciplined. I've got to be focused. Those Bruce Lee mindsets helped. And it was like me just navigating. And that's six hours a day. I mean, George, even now, who is he rolling with recently? Was he just with him? Uh, Gordon Ryan. Gordon, John, I mean, and Lovato. And so, and I've heard people say, man, George will submit some people. Like the people he mm -hmm. puts away... And for a wrestler, you don't always get a wrestler that can use his jiu-jitsu as good just because right. the way it transitions, you know. So, And again, I'm the uh, – yeah, this is my deal. Like I'll prep, write, preach, travel, but it's kind of like my, my other world is like MMA. And, I'm, and again, I'm around so many of those guys. I'm fully aiming to use my, my jiu-jitsu life and the rest of it for the sake of the kingdom. You know, yeah, that's I how I look at it all.
Well, and I think the thing about it as well uh, for a guy like George is he had the best coaches around him and he let them coach. He let yeah, Greg Jackson yeah. coach him. He let John Donaher coach yeah. him. Like he, he let, uh, I'm forgetting his uh, Canadian coach. I'm, yeah. The guy for heat or whatever. Yeah, uh, yeah. 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 And so he, he's allowing these guys to actually coach them. Try star. Yeah. Try star. But whereas there's these other guys that are like, I'm the best guy here and we're, you know, you're all my sparring partners. I'll support you where I can, but this camp is about me. Um, yeah, and yeah. you kind of insulate yourself from that. Whereas George is like, Okay, Gordon Ryan, you're the greatest no-gi grappler of all time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're naturally 30, 40 pounds bigger than me. Time to get after it. And that's just kind of his style. And maybe here to put a little bow on the MMA stuff yeah. and then we'll we'll back our way back into the to the skating. Is there a fight right now that is not on the books hmm. that you would most like to see? Because me, you mentioned Giga earlier. He just suffered a loss here recently. Oh, he was the guy that I was thinking was going to potentially make a run at the championship this year, you know, win maybe one more fight and then get a chance at either Max or Volkanovsky. Yeah. Um, you know, that you have some other fights, like people are excited for Juliana Pena and Amanda Nunes to fight again. Um, you know, th there are yeah. some fights out there that are maybe a fight or two away. Yeah. Um, I'll give you mine to give you a little chance. Like I would love to see um, Hamzat Chemaev either fight Kamara Usman or Colby mm. Covington. Yeah. Because Kamara Usman and Colby Covington are the best 175 pounders on the planet. They're 1A and 1B. Yeah. Okay. But the thing is, is the reason why they cancel each other out is because both of them basically assume they can't take the other one down. Hamzat Chemaev, yeah. right, Hamza Chemaev has not met a mammal on planet yeah. earth grizzlies yeah. included that he doesn't yeah, think yeah, he can yeah. double leg right yeah, so yeah. that's a fight i'd like to see but <laughs> what are what's the fight that you think kind of a dream matchup well it's funny even you just mentioned colby how can we let that go you know like he when he beat rda i was like okay this is not normal right every fight since him and here's the thing colby has gone after Usman. And Usman has completely respected him. He didn't have yeah. to say that was a takedown. John Jones wouldn't have said that was a takedown. Sure. He's like, I could call that a takedown, maybe. For me, I'm going to be biased. Um, here's what's crazy. Benil came in and smashed Tony Ferguson. And Bad. I seen even on the, or the fighters saying, oh, man, he just, like, took him down. You did that to Tony Ferguson. And Benny told me, like, again, we're friends. We see each other around. We'll go do whatever. He said, I got hold of his knee, pulled it, and I couldn't feel the tendon. So he believes, like, he blew his – oh, no, it was heel hook. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. He blew his knee out in that, and the guy just kept going. And he goes, okay, I'm just done. If that would have been Khabib doing that or anyone else doing that, it would have been, like, the craziest thing ever. So I know Benny had a couple losses where he got tagged and whatever else. So that was it the Jakar close fight maybe. And he yeah. was like, Brian, you know what? I rocked him. He was stumbling. I knew there was no power, so I just kind of went forward. I would never do that in a higher level fight, you know. So I'd like to see Benny, but he's got to go, he's got to get past Islam. Islam. I would like to have seen. I mean, Kamzat though. I I'm fascinated by him. I mean, he just looks like from what Gustafson's saying, a guy that's that big that has that much power and control, throwing guys around and laughing. I mean, he came yeah. in, tagged that one guy, then he came in last time, slammed him, and did whatever. But I, I guess. I don't know right now. I mean, I would like to see some maybe more serious strikers. You know what I mean? I just like, like, just like I, I watched their Nike, Nikki Holston, you know, the other day, the Muay Thai mm -hmm. guy. And I just, I like to be able to see someone that could bring something in that we can see as well. But I like all these guys we're talking about. You know, it's just, again, it's my downtime. It's on. I'll, I'll watch it on Instagram if I do it or some friends are getting it. I'm free. It's fastest growing sport in the world, you know, so.
Yeah. Well, and there's a lot of there's a lot of entry points. So if you grow up wrestling, you can get into MMA. If you grow up boxing, you can get into MMA. That's just kind of the deal of it. Um, to get back and maybe even to put a bowl a little bit on your yeah. skating career, I know that you've detailed in some other interviews some crazy experiences you've had uh, mm. or just some highlights. So from your professional skateboarding career, yeah. is there like a highlight, like maybe a competition that you won that was kind of a big deal, uh, you know, a trick that you've been trying for years that you hit or is like, you know, some crazy story where you almost died because the cops were chasing you or something like Give me a good skateboarding career story. Honestly, man, for me, it's more just been, we aren't the generation that was meant to do contests. You avoided them. We went and filmed video parts for like two or three years. And when it came Mm -hmm. out, that was the guy's music. That was the way he looked and whatever. Most of my career was just like street skating. I got into a couple of fights. I went around the world. And really, it was skating the Wilshire rail, nose grinding this big rail, certain tricks I would do, salad grinds and the rest. But I feel like my whole career was like, here's this English guy, here's what he's doing, the music he's skating to, you know, the Misfits, the Ramones, all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff, and wearing black, and then just, and then, you know, the next part of my life, really, you're probably going to get into getting married at 19, having a kid, and my whole world radically changing. I mean, I'm kind of amazed I'm still here, even at 42, celebrating all this. You know, it's all a gift. Let's yeah. let's go ahead and get into that because yeah, the, yeah. the skateboarding's good. We got to we got well, to I'll hang out. And talk. I'll say I did a lot of really cheesy Hollywood films. I made really bad cameos. And <laughs> and, and here's the thing I'll say. I just kind of did whatever I wanted to do. I wrote scripts. I went and did stuff in Hollywood. I went and did random sponsors because I always felt like if you don't do what you want to do, there's no integrity in it. You know what I mean? And I, I definitely had a, a cool perception to people, this English guy and his music and whatever, but I just, I'm, dude, I'm still tripping out that I'm in America. You know, it's it's winter in England. It's sunny today. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm just still like living this dream, I guess. So I don't know. I mean, I just didn't take things too seriously. Maybe I'd like to be remember for and all of that and just was blessed by it. You know, right. made money. I was able to buy this house because of skating. So Right. Yeah. Just to correct you, California is not America. We don't claim California, yeah. okay? That's like Huntington Beaches. Huntington okay. Beaches like Texas. I'm not right. kidding. But wasn't yeah. Tito Ortiz on like the city council? How serious of a city can it be if Tito Ortiz was elected to office? Okay, Tito's brother Marty is eight doors down right here. We could go okay. talk to everyone. And he's awesome. Tito was, but I heard something like he wasn't showing up to the meetings or whatever. Yeah. And, and what he stood for was right. You know, man, he loves this place. If you come if you come to Huntington, I'll tell you for those listening, if you go 10 minutes that way to Long Beach, you will get bombarded for not wearing a mask, not doing this, not doing that. You go to Huntington, everyone's just cruising and getting on with it. And I'll tell you, they had a couple of almost like Trump rallies. You've seen Mexican, black, Filipino, Asian, everyone i'd go ride my bike you know i'm I'm preaching tomorrow i'm gonna get a break 500 people just relaxed and celebrating huntington is like get on with your life enjoy yourself there's so much eclecticity here there's so many people so i don't feel like i'm stuck in some oppressive like you can't do this i mean right i respect people but god made us free you know and i don't think half of what we're seeing through our news channels I mean, I was bummed to hear yesterday that, you know, they took Neil Young's, all his stuff off Spotify, but right. I didn't realize how crazy he was about everything. I only knew it was music and people were like, no, he was like, so yeah, there's, there's the deal, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, it's a bit of a, of a crazy deal, but I want to get back to something that you, you yeah. mentioned because basically at the height 
of your skateboarding fame. Like you yeah. do get married as a teenager. You married a gal named Tracy. Yeah. Uh, you got married in a little chapel in Vegas. Of course mm-hmm. you did. Uh, you had a kiddo, but your relationship really wasn't going well. And that's probably the nicest way that I can spin it. Yeah. Uh, and eventually you two got a divorce and yep. for, for you and for a lot of people that put you in a place where you were really depressed. You, you were yeah, angry, yeah. you were confused, you were suicidal at points. And, you know, it was an incredibly dark time for you yeah. personally. And that kind of, you know, created this on-ramp into your spiritual life, which we'll get more mm. into here in just a second. Amen. But just in terms of uh, of the relational side with what was going on for you internally, you know, surrounding you and Tracy and the kids, can you take us through that time period? Yeah, picture, like I said, you and I went to school. Brian wants to be a skater. You want to go be whatever. We make it to America. I'm making money. And listen, for those listening, skating blew up. You're making $400 a month living in an apartment in Taco Bell in the jacuzzi. Life's good. Now you're making ten or twenty or thirty thousand dollars a month. Sometimes it's huge. I didn't care about this, but when you've got you know pro decks, pro shoes, tech decks, there's games out there, all this stuff. What I'm saying is, I was living the American dream biblically. I was gaining this whole world, but I was still mm-hmm. losing my soul. I wasn't raised in the church. I had no faith. I wasn't like some of our listeners who you know went to church and viewed that as being a Christian. Guys, girls, either you met Jesus or you didn't. I had no clue. You know, our money has Charlie Darwin on it. I'm raised just like, oh, we're just evolved apes. Now I'm fighting with this woman that I fell in love with. We have a son. We've um, been together a year, two, three. It's all falling apart. This is my is my point is this is the first time life is really challenging me. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, wait a minute. Bruce said life's a vehicle. You know, when we strip away the clay till the truth is revealed, I can figure out a trick. We can figure out an arm bar or omoplata or whatever. I can navigate life. Well, this thing has collapsed. And I remember saying, you know what, God, whoever you are, I'm done. And here's why I said this. It was real simple. Either you and I were created or we're not. Either we matter or we don't. Either our listeners are roadkill or they're made on purpose. That was it. Okay, then, where is God? Where's whoever? Where's the higher power? Because the guys meditating in the fields, they left their families like Buddha and they're sitting off just doing nothing. That's not right. You know, there's no atonement there. There's no whatever. So I began to look at all the different faiths. I went back to my English kind of mindset, my Rasta friends, my Buddhist friends, my Hindu, all the stuff. And I realized and saw through a lot of it um, at the time I'm divorced. I mean, I punched holes in everything, got in a fight from her dad. I was getting on probation. I had a billy club in my car, didn't know it was illegal. I got an eight fights in a month, so I have community service. And in the middle of all this time, I'm trying to disprove everything. And I looked at the Bible one day, and I literally read in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, let us make man in our image. So I'm trying to disprove everything. And God, you know, your God, the invisible God we can't see, who supposedly wants all our money and the Catholic Church and craziness, said Brian's made in his image. And I said, well, if I'm made in your image, why does my life suck? If I'm made in your image, my name's on a skateboard. I'm in sunny California. I'm enjoying these dumb fry fights. But you know what? I'm divorced from this woman. And you guys, listen, and some of you are there. Some of you are divorced. Some of you are hating life. Your, your spouse, the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. You want to see your kids. Maybe it's your circumstance. Maybe it's theirs. I don't know. I didn't want to live. And as I'm trying to disprove the Bible, God tells me right there in the next few pages, well, I put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, just don't eat of this tree. And they ran over there and they ate of it. There's sin. Brian, you're going to die because of this. I'd never heard this. So there I am making money, traveling the world. I'd bought a house. I'm divorced from this woman, separated for a year or two. 
And as I'm trying to disprove all these religions, I'm reading the Bible and hearing about God and his love and sending his son and just craziness. I knew all about God, but I didn't know him. Hmm. And so to kind of summarize all this for seven months while I'm probation, community service, not wanting to live, not a citizen, divorcing this woman, I tried to disprove everything I could about the Bible. And one night coming home from community service that was in a Christian thrift store where if you went and served French fries and burgers in the church next door, you got extra hours. So guess what I did all the time? Thrift store, went and served. I learned how to cook a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I came home that night, and here's the crazy thing for our listeners. I'd heard all about God. I'd been around Christians, but I didn't know him. I went in this room that is right here. I mean, I can walk in there in two minutes. And in that room, my ex-wife, because we said, let's just try and make it work for the sake of my son, She's asleep in this room. My son's four or five. We fight like crazy that night. And I go in this room and I say, God, I'm done. And I didn't just say God. I was like Yahweh, Jehovah, you know, the God of Abraham, Mm -hmm. Isaac, Jacob. I was going to God to fix my life, make skating make sense, make my wife make sense, make just life. I'm alone here in America. Yeah, I've got friends, but what's going on? I'm going to be divorced from this person. Like, I don't want this life. I went in that room and began to have it out with God and all those verses, everything came to mind. And I realized I was going to God for my own reasons, but God was addressing my issue of what? Sin. I'm living in sin. I'm dead. You know, all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so in this room, I get this. I understand this. Get down on my knees. I'm praying like, Lord, I just, and it was like God allowed me to see for the first time. The scales fell off my eyes. Wait a minute. Jesus came as the Lamb of God. Jesus shed his blood. I mean, my sin, it, was, it suddenly became about me, God, and my sin. And after sitting there for 30, 40 minutes, praying, pursuing him, asking for forgiveness, all the things I'd read about Bruce, all the things I'd, I'd inherited from England or skating around the world, you see a lot. You see the world quick. In one instant, as I'm on my knees, just like looking up, the same place where I'd sit there and watch Pride Fight, you know, and whatever else in the little office, It was like I knew the presence of God was getting a hold of me. My eyes were opened. I saw my sin. I fell down on the floor and literally said, God, I lay down my life. I'll give you my skating. I'll I'll get baptized. I'll do whatever you want to do. I'll even remarry that woman. And and that's how I viewed that woman. You know, I loved her, but I hated her. Same for her to me. All I can explain it to is like when in John 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. Meaning you can be right here hearing about it, but you're spiritually dead, Brian. Until your eyes are open from the gospel, you cannot hear it. Or when he tells Peter, who do you say I am? You're the Messiah. He said, flesh and blood doesn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. In that room that I'm pointing at that you guys can't see, I had an encounter with God in 2004. I was never the same. The Bruce Lee mindset, the Eastern philosophy, the other religions, the New Ages, and whatever I could have thought was done. And I sat there laughing and crying. I can't believe this is real. I can't believe that, that you know, because the science of it, I can't make anyone believe. I can't mm-hmm. prove to you, and I'm not meant to. It's meant to be subjective to you. The science of it is you hear the gospel. It's the power and the salvation. God's spirit does a work in you, and you can hear it. So when people say to me, good atheist friends, can you prove it? No. How does God want you to hear by the preaching of the gospel, it hits you, you hear, his sheep hear his voice. I heard, went in this room, laid in bed next to my ex-wife. She sits up like a zombie, gives a speech for 10 minutes. 
I wake up the next day and right here where I am, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to give my skating, do whatever. She thinks I'm crazy. Three weeks later, she's in church. She comes to faith. Three months later, we're remarried. My son's 21. I was doing jiu-jitsu with him yesterday. We have two more children, Eden who's 14, Jude who's 11. So to me, God showed up at the top of my career making great money, saved me, redeemed me, restored my marriage. And since then, I've been crazy about Jesus, you know, so that's radical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's absolutely radical. And I'm, I'm glad you went into all that detail to kind of tell your story. And I, I do want to parse out a few of the things yeah, from your story, because if you think that we're just, you know, highly evolved descendants of fish, you know, we're, we're monkeys that wear pants and talk to each other. The thing about it is then none of this stuff matters, right? Like none of the, none of the arguments, none of the politics, none of the masking, none, the nothing matters, right? Yeah. Cause I tell people all the time, I was like, cause I have a good friend of mine that's atheist. And I basically told him, I was like, look, let's say you and I both die on the same day, somewhere down in the future. And you were right. Right. We're all just yeah. matter. We're all just stardust bumping into stardust. Well, guess what? We're both worm food at the end of the day, yeah. but I will have spent a lot of time, effort and money trying to con you know, convince people to do something and be something that's not real. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my worst case scenario. Your worst case scenario is that I'm right and you're wrong. And then basically what that means is you're eternally separated from the father. And at the moment you realize that all you will want was to not be separated from the father. Mm. And so that's why I tell people you have to reckon with this because I think when we're deep down in it, when, when, you know, the cameras mm. have turned off, when you've put Twitter down for the evening, it's just you sitting right there and you know that you're not meaningless. You know that you're not just, you know, a, a, you know, yeah. a, a bucket of flesh that gets yeah. to walk around on earth for hopefully a good 85 years or so. Yep. But the thing that's interesting is you set out with a purpose, Brian, yeah. and your purpose yeah. was to essentially prove proof, yeah. that life was meaningless, yeah. right? You wanted to prove that we were stardust. And yeah. there's so many people that go out on that cocky journey and then they had getting clocked by the gospel. And yeah. so like, is that a similar story that you've heard? Cause I know you do a lot of evangelism yeah. now and we'll get more into this kind of what yeah. you do now and in, in terms of your pastoral work. But is that what you see a lot of times people that set out with this idea that somehow they can disprove the God, of the universe only to find them? I mean, Lee Strobel, you know, the case for Christ. That's what right. I was literally, and you even just said then, you know, a moment ago, um, if we are just mush, doesn't matter. We just survive of the fittest. Yeah. Why even vaccinate and put a mask on? Let's just let the weak die. Sure. You know what I mean? Let's just let nature have its course. And people have these weird ideas, you know, animals are just so, if everyone could just be like the animal. That dog and cat, they're great. We have two of one and three of the other, but you're feeding them every day and taking care of them every day. But you go treat that animal the way you treat other people probably bite you pretty soon and go find a new owner. The right. world is cursed, I'm saying. But yes, I would say the biggest deception is that we're not asking the question. Um, if you come in the gym today with me, we start rolling, I guillotine you, the first thing you're going to think is, I don't want that to happen again. I'm going to figure out how to not do that. Right. We don't do that with life. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're probably going to think I'm going to go, you know, guillotine all my cousins at Christmas or whatever you want to do. We don't do that with life. In life, we're just like, no one knows. I'm going to believe this. I'm going to trust that. There's a spiritual deception, 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. So for me, it was like, if other people could just say, what is the goal here? Guys, everyone listening, a couple of facts for you. You were either created or not. You have purpose or not. You are not going to die of old age. You are going to die because your body fails you. 
Grandma might have passed away in her sleep and she was sweet and it was cute and she was a hundred and whatever, you know, over in Okinawa or something, you know, they lives way older apparently, but mm. her body failed her. Her kidneys went out, her heart, her brain, something stopped. Why? 100% of all people will die, even, you know, um, Elijah and Enoch one day. 100% of all people will die and God says it's because of the sin. Your payment for your sin is death. There's a curse on the whale. We celebrate my wife's mother this weekend because of the curse. My mom passed away eight years ago because of the curse. There's kids who are having crazy twisted things happening to the day because of the curse. There's addictions to alcoholism and violence and anger and whatever else you want to say. The whale's cursed. We're going to die. Why? Anyone that begins to ask those questions, you will go around the mountain. The Bible God, not your idea of Jesus, not your bias against the gospel, not your Bart Ehrman and hypothetical, you know, contradictions in the Bible. If you Mm -hmm. go yourself, there's more historical evidence. There's more geographical evidence. There's more things hidden from your sight. Guys, if if the Bible is meant to control you, why isn't all the politicians using the Bible to control us? Why are they opposing it, mocking it, living in opposition of it? That's the state of the world. So, yes, anyone that really truthfully goes to find truth. You have to arrive at Christ because he is the way, the truth. Yeah. Well, you said the ultimate word, Brian, and it's truth because what most people treat life as is as a bunch of opinions, right? Hey, that's just a matter of opinion. Oh, you think LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan? That's just a matter of opinion. It's that type of a mindset. (laughs) And they, they, they think about matters of opinion rather than binary reality. Something is either true or it's not. So when I talk to people, I'm like, look, we can talk about dinosaurs. We'll get there. We can talk about Jonah and the well. Like we can talk about the parting of the Red Sea. We can talk about yeah. Noah's Ark. We can we can get to all those things, right? Because I'm not just going to tell you to pray about it if you ask me a question yeah, I don't have yeah. the answer to. But I was like, we need to start with the binary reality of mm-hmm. did Jesus get resurrected or did he yeah. not? Yeah. Because like because there's no more uh, certifiable fact from antiquity than yeah. that Jesus Christ was a real human being that lived. He mm-hmm. was a Middle Eastern Jew that was found guilty by the Jews, executed by the Romans <laughs> on a crucifix. He didn't swoon. He didn't you know have a body double into those things. Romans when they meant to kill you on a cr- on a cross they did yeah. so. They, yeah. they were they batted a thousand with crucifixion. Yeah. The only thing that we need to reckon with, and mm-hmm. it's not a matter of opinion, he either rose from the dead or he didn't. Yeah. And so you have to reckon with that question before you get into all the other ones, because that's the one that makes the mm. most amount of an impact on and your what lifestyle. Is, and think about it. What is that? Think about that visually. Let's just say we don't even know his name was Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, the mm-hmm. Bible. You watch for a thousand years, if you could do, every human that's ever lived. Everyone has fallen over and becomes worm food. But if you watch Jesus in three days, he got up again. It isn't that we're Christian and we're saying he resurrected a human being, God in the flesh, but fully man got out of the ground. To our listeners, what does that mean? It means we will have life again. There's life after this, that he paid the price for our sins and rode again. This isn't religion. Like I said, I wasn't raised in the church. It was a Catholic mm-hmm. church five doors down from me. I never went to it. I went through all this and I was 20 to 24 trying to disprove it. And then the only other thing is, again, I was so broken. I wanted answers. Most people don't. Why? Same thing that happened in Rome. They build a Colosseum. There's a circus. As long as I'm entertained by my electronics or even our UFC or even jujitsu or whatever we're into, you know, the idols of this world that distract us from the reality. And here's the thing, just, just to go wherever, 
when I go to skate parks and hang out with kids, I don't start with talking about Jesus and God. I talk about the state of the world, and they begin to see how wicked and crazy and things are, and all these famous people, and the worship, and they're, you know, all seeing eye, mm-hmm. and the triangle, and the capstone, and guys, what's the biggest religion in the world? Why do all these people have these behind-the-scenes things? What do they all do, and what's the agenda? And when they re- when they realize they believe in that, and they see so much evidence for it, then I go, guys, where does anywhere talk about this? Mm-hmm. Biblically, there's a spiritual deception. You know, you, you had to wear masks outside, but you had what, like three or four rapper chicks dancing around a pole making out at like the Grammys or something. I'm like, is this not just showing you the deception? So I'm not just trying to be political either, even though I'm sure a lot of your listeners are more political than I am or, you know, whatever you want to say. But common sense would say, I'm going to die. The world's crazy. Does God speak anywhere? And then it's and, you know, I have a podcast called Foolishness because First Corinthians one eighteen says the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. So if I'd have heard this years ago, I'd have been into the UFC talk and skate talk. But this part, I'm like, this is crazy, which is sad because skating will pass. UFC will pass. We'll pass. And the God talk is really what should be relevant to people. So, well, and that's one thing that I have a tendency to do is because like, I, I, I'll risk some relational chips and I'll risk offending somebody, um, to ask them the question. And I was talking to a guy, a buddy of mine named Mike Ritland. He's a former Navy SEAL. He's a dog trainer. He's a great, great dude, but he's somewhere mm. between atheist and agnostic. And at one point during an interview, he literally goes, Kyle, seriously, why the F do you care whether or not I believe in God? And, uh, you know, he wasn't, that's just how he talks. He wasn't yeah, yeah, actually yeah. mad at me. Rhetorical and, yeah, yeah, but in that moment, like, because I didn't know he was going to say that. I said, because I want you to have what I have, brother, because I love you. And because like, if again, and I, I brought up the worm food thing, but it's like, brother, if if I'm right and someday we have to answer for, for the sins that we've committed, yeah. it's like, and if you start giving excuses and one of those excuses isn't the blood of Christ, it's not going to work out well for you. Amen. I didn't say it exactly like that, but, and he, he was defanged by the way I answered the question because what he was expecting was is well you're covered in sin and if you're yeah, covered yeah, yeah. in sin you gotta be this you gotta that and you're a, <laughs> you're a you know defiler and that's what he was expecting he was expecting hellfire and brimstone and he was expecting me to take the bible and bash him over the head with yeah. it and what's funny about that is the only people that complained about our interview later were other Christians they're like do you even understand apologetics do you even whatever but he has now categorized me mm. as somebody that he can have that conversation, the, the one you just talked about, because I just chucked a rock in his shoe, right? I want him to think about some of the things yeah. that I said later when he wakes up in the middle of the night. He's like, damn, why did Kyle say that thing about worm and food? And one like, day that really come and really me. hug you and say thank you because, again, and here's the clear thing, and you probably know this about me. When I was trying to disprove all this, John the Baptist shows up, goes about preaching, repent. John dies. Jesus goes about preaching. Repent. So when we hear it in America, we hear repentance. We either don't know what it means or we feel like rocks are being thrown at us. But if we understand the context, Jewish history, everyone knew we're all going to die because of the state of the world. God's good. Repentance is just putting our faith in and tend to him and him living inside of us. That relationship, you wanting your friend to have that. Why do you bleep and care so much is because God's now in you, and he sent us to reach others because he loves them. And then when that guy, we believe that, you know, is going to come to faith because of it. And and here's the thing. We don't do this to gain heaven, but, man, I want people to have what I have. The state of the world right now, all the things going on, like, okay, I mean, God's in control. He knows what's happened. None of this is a surprise. I just hope more people wake up, have Christ, see his blood can be applied to our right. fallen nature. And, guys, that's it. And for, for you and I. 
we both just know how much we need Jesus more every day. It's not because we're perfect. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and when you're talking to somebody, you want to try to remove blockades between the point you're trying to make and them coming to your point of view, whether mm-hmm. you're trying to debate them on a social issue or trying to get to them to agree with you that George St. Yeah. Pierre is the greatest fighter ever or whatever. You want to remove the things that are in the way that could distract them. Mm. And so I, I say that to say earlier, I mentioned around the same time I became a Christian is when I was learning how to become a man, you know, 13, 14, yeah. 15 years old. And for me, the paradigm that I grew up with having not grown up in church, just like you mm. is the manly men we're outside the church doing manly stuff. Yeah. And all the godly men were inside the church with their press shirts and their khakis mm. and you know everything tucked in and shined up shoes and that's what they were doing, right? Yeah, yeah. And I kept that paradigm even into my early 20s. The the godly mm. men were in the church and the manly men were somewhere else. And as I grew up and as I kind of developed my philosophy on manhood and all that, I saw yeah. the dearth of real masculinity inside the church is one of the reasons why guys that are rough around the edges, Mm. you know, your fighters, your jujitsu guys, your construction workers, your military your law enforcement officers, a lot of those guys would walk into church, look around at all the doughy, dopey looking followers of his and be like, man, I got to go do something else. Like there's nothing for me here. Especially in the middle of America, maybe. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so I'm wondering for you and from your perspective, because you didn't grow up in church, you grew up in another country, you know, England's basically a post-Christian culture. Um, But do you feel like that is a a big problem? Because I've basically dedicated my entire life Mm. to showing people what godly masculinity is. The fact that Jesus is the manliest man who ever lived, even though you wouldn't probably put him in your top thousand list if you were to make one. Do you feel like the lack of real manhood inside the church is keeping people from maybe seeing the father even coming to hear the gospel message? I literally, you know, I don't know if I look too tidy on here for some of our viewers who live in the woods. You look great. But, um, you know, I'm doing a a memorial service Saturday. I'm preaching Sunday. I'm saying that because I just went to the the friend of ours who grew up with who trims my hair, you know, trims it. I don't really do much. But I literally said to her today, you know, that men who don't live out their manhood, you're male. But there's a difference between a man who is going to raise those kids, a man who's going to love that wife, a man who's going to walk as a man. We have responsibilities that's what the attack on culture is right now, and people can't see it. I'm preaching on Genesis this weekend because Jesus in Matthew 19 talks about marriage. And when they ask about marriage, the first thing he says is God made them male and female. If you say that, that's controversial today. Sure. It's controversial. Are they male and female? Well, guys, it's not controversial to the Christian. If God was in the room and he's in every room, he made them male and female. And what that means is I wrote a book on marriage. I'm going to be preaching in church on Sunday. But as I go and live out my life, I'm meant to present men as God says they are, male, and females, he says they are female. But yes, if you're just the guy in the church who's in khakis, if stuck in the pews, why wouldn't you be out there living this life? Why can't you go hunting? Why can't you go do this? Why can't you go do that? I mean, King David was out there, you know, with his mighty men. And here's why. If you study the history of the Bible, the way the nations came against Israel was their goal was to wipe out the men. What did Pharaoh do? wanted to wipe them out. What happened in Jesus' day? That's why Joseph took Jesus to Egypt. Even in First Kings, it literally is crazy. Elijah is sent against its King Ahab, and he says, I will wipe out among your men those who pisseth, King James, pisseth on the wall. Who pisses on the wall? Men do. Women don't. Mm. So God is sending this man to wipe out the men so their influence cannot make that um, culture strong. That's what's happening now. 
I mean, men don't know what a man is. And the right. point is, and I'll, I'll, I'll say it as simply as this. If we're in church, there's a thousand people. The guy comes in with a gun. I expect every man sitting there to run towards that guy and stop him. And I expect every woman to run the other way. Are you willing to die for your spouse, for your family, for your faith, for your call? I'm not just saying a nation. I love America, don't get me wrong, but our call is the kingdom, not just the nation. We're bringing the kingdom here. We're invading. So, yeah, I would say more men. I mean, be whatever you're into, but I would also say I like fighting and rolling. I mean, I mean jujitsu and training. I like being around men. I like skateboarding. Mm -hmm. I like being out. I'm in America where most guys hunt and do all the rest of it. So I'd say be who you are. I'm going to hate on something, but – when you're just sitting back kind of only in the church, you're not actively in right. the world living out what a man is. You know, when I when you're doing – if you go on here drunk, I'm like, what are you doing? You might be pissed at a moment, but we're going to get off and go like, man, Brian's going to call me out. And there's something in your spirit that's like, yeah, we want that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We want that kind of – and it's been talked down the last two decades in the church. Like, oh, men, just put on your armor and here's a sword and here's – that's how we're made. God right. made us that way. He brought the animals to Adam to name them. You know, you're going to build a plot of land, figure out the foundation. You're going to go to jiu-jitsu. You want to get choked or not? Listen to the guy who knows. So I don't fight that whole sex war, like, well, this, this, and that. I'm just like, God says you're male and female. I'm going to preach the truth. Some of the pisses. And I had a friend say the other day, if you want to figure out if you're male or female, go outside naked when it's windy. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, and he said it preaching at a skate park. And I was like, oh man. He said, go outside when it's windy in your backyard naked. And I was like, oh man. But the point is, the hard thing is, kids now at four, five, six are getting brainwashed, told all this stuff. Right. And if you just want to stand, but, but you know, it's funny. And I'll say this and take, you know, next point. But I'm preaching on marriage. And I didn't realize that where the Pharisees asked Jesus about marriage is the same place where John the Baptist was preaching. And I know that John the Baptist was captured and beheaded, but I never stopped and thought he was beheaded because he was preaching on marriage. He was preaching on God's plan for the family. And Genesis begins with a marriage, you know, male and female. It ends with a marriage, male and female, Christ and the church. And the whole story of the Bible is marriage, where a king, a man, Jesus came to defeat a serpent to redeem his bride. So if you take male and female out of it, you're missing the gospel. Right. It's certainly an attack on marriage because when government becomes daddy, right? When you don't need the man in the house anymore, the government's going to take care of you. That's an attack on marriage. When you say that marriage can be between two men or two women or three men or five men and two women, like whatever, like you're attacking marriage. And now that when you're attacking gender, there's been some people that have done some great work on this. Douglas Murray, Camille Paglia is towards the end of these great empires. So the Greek empire, the Roman empire, they became obsessed with gender. They became obsessed with sex. They became obsessed with these things. Partially it's because they weren't as worried about, you know, the, the Mongols on the other side of, of the, the hill coming over and stealing all their women and cows or whatever. Um, it's just like, we're so drunk in our success that we worry about things that don't actually matter. But the, the church I feel like is doing a horrible job of pushing it back against this darkness because they'll do a once a year men's breakfast and they'll call it men's ministry. But they're not worried about making their church man friendly. They're worried about checking a box and doing a man's program, right? And so you get guys together, they have fun, they eat bacon and a bowl of chili, and then they move on with their lives. They go back to their house and they look at porn and jerk off. They they go back and they they get their fantasy football Mm. lineup ready to go. Uh, They go and ignore their (laughs) wife. They go and do, like, they do these other things that have caricatured masculinity because that's the one thing that I always draw a line and and you basically said as much. I don't care what you're interested in. 
I'm very typically masculine in that I like four-wheel drive trucks and fighting and drinking whiskey and smoking cigars and eating meat and hunting. I love those things. That's okay. But I don't care. Right. But I don't care if you're into drama and uh, Shakespeare and gourmet cooking and all those things. What I care about in my definition of a man is a male that cultivates spiritual, mental, and physical resilience on a daily basis. You're not attacking the individual. You're talking about the office and the call of a man. Yeah. Right. And and when you look at the Bible, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about readiness and then I'll tee it back up to you. Yeah, yeah. So, cause I talk <laughs> about being in shape a lot and I talk about physical resilience and how important that is to God. And you know, mm. people typically fatties, they'll be like, Hey, uh, I don't have a six pack. Does that mean that God can't use me? And this is what I tell them. I say, go back and read the first four books of Nehemiah. So mm. Nehemiah risks his life, goes before the king, says, hey, I'm going to go back to a land that I've never been to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm so lamenting what's happened that I want to rebuild the walls and, you know, help my people. And he goes back there and here's what he doesn't do. Mm-hmm. When he finally announces himself to Israel and says, hey, like I'm Nehemiah and we're going to rebuild these gates. We're going to rebuild these mm-hmm. walls. And also we're going to protect ourselves as that's going on. What he didn't say is, <laughs> and so tomorrow morning, we're going to start a 90 day program where we're going to be getting in shape. We're going to be doing farmer's carries and we're mm-hmm. going to be doing deadlift and we're going to be working on our, you know, spear thrusting and all yeah. these different things. And then 91 days from now, we'll start work on the wall. No, that's not what he did. Mm-hmm. What he said is work starts at dawn. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what he mm-hmm. said. And the reason he was able to do that, Brian, is because those men were ready. Right. right. Yeah. They didn't train to go fight. They knew how to fight. Mm-hmm. They didn't train to be in shape because it was backbreaking work building walls in, in ancient Israel. <laughs> they were ready. And so God's got yeah, calls in you, one hand. Yeah. Right. That, I mean, and shovels in the other. And the thing is, is they had to be ready to do that. So I tell these men, yeah. if God calls you to something, he's calling you now. You don't have time to go train. You don't have time to go figure it out. And most men are caught flat-footed. They're not ready. Mm -hmm. And even then you see, I think it was in Nehemiah where they start with an altar because the reality is God's presence is there. That's what you need. And, And, you know, let's just be realistic then. I mean, you're going there. Here's how basic it is. You and some woman are 13, 14, 15. One of you can get someone pregnant. One of you never can. I don't care what you say that is. I don't care if you want to argue about whether the ovaries work and this and this and that. Mm -hmm. Guess what? You're going to have more facial hair. You're going to have more hair under your armpits. You're going to probably punch harder than 99% of the females you're around. And there's male definition. Again, go in the garden when you're naked and windy and things are going to happen. Now look at hair. She's going to have a chest. She's going to have a different shape. Scientifically, whatever you want to call them and the games everyone's playing, they're made different. That's the way God made them, the ish and the isha in the Hebrew, two that become one. And here's the big thing for our listeners. When you're driving down the road and God convicts you, oh, man, you said this, you sound like a goof. What are you doing? Oh, God, what I'm doing. That's your conviction. Mm-hmm. When I'm doing something and God convicts me, but when a nation is flipping off God and redefining his boundaries, Old Testament God shows up and things happen. I'm not the guy who's like, oh, this is what this is. But in a way, God gave them King Saul and he almost destroyed the nation. God gave Israel over. Our nation now is calling on these false gods and this deception, all the rest of it. And so, yeah, I'm a guy that's like, we build skate ramps downtown, the outreach. A guy comes up to my son and goes, hey, pick that up. You should be able to pick that up. You should be able to do what the man says, not debate and argue like all we see today. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm Ephesians 2.10, you're his workmanship, but after it today, what's he called you to? But we need Homer Simpson, Al Bundy, and whoever else you want to see are the examples of men. While men are being torn a bit, it's like a trend. Women are celebrated, and we should celebrate them. 
but are they even celebrated as women? Or right. is it almost like toxic masculine women who are shouting at men? You know, my wife wants to wants to provide in the house. She wants to just be here and take care of the kids, provide the teaching at the table, you know, for homeschool, the rest. Mm-hmm. I want to go out. I'm thinking about when I'm 60, when there's retirement. That's it. So that's how I look at the, the basic, you know, am I studying the word to wash your in it? Can I train up my kids in the way they should go? Can I give an account for my faith? There's my call, protecting my family and covering them. So... Yeah, I think you're covering uh, a lot of topics that are important because obviously when you get into when you get into the gender issue, you know, people don't want to go. You, they say if you want to go anything beyond, you know, XX or XY chromosomes like that, you're a bigot or, you know, keeping things that simple. And, and people are trying to they're trying to purposely muddy the waters. And to a certain degree, we're casting our pearls before a swine, but, you know, and trying to change them. But truth is important. Truth is a very, very important thing. Yeah. And, you know, before we get off into uh, some other political topics, I'm going to come back <laughs> to some of your pastoral work, because you mentioned several things. Yeah. So you personally do a lot of evangelism for the skating community, for the, you know, the skate park community. Yeah. Um, I remember back in the day, you had a film called Foolishness, where you evangelize yeah. the sta- skateboard community. And, you know, you have your skating and the music and the whole thing. Yeah. You and your wife, uh, as I understand it, you do marriage ministries and, and yeah. you both speak and then you speak. So give our listeners an idea of kind of what it is that you're up to now and any ways that I guess we could support what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you come to faith at the top of your game. What do you do? Well, a guy called Stephen Baldwin is doing this whole ministry with Luis Palau and Franklin mm-hmm. Graham and Christian Asoy is getting out of jail and he's a Christian. So I connect with these people and they start saying, Brian, just start sharing your story. So I kind of get pushed immediately into sharing our, my story of how God's, you know, I'm for seven months. Like I said, I'm trying to disprove this Bible. It's like apologetics in my head. So I am learning. I am seeing things. I'm understanding why they sacrificed in the Old Testament, what they're doing in the new, who the Lamb of God is. I could I could tell someone the gospel and, and pray with them and whatever God did. So now from that. I get invited to speak places, go places. I do some Bible school. I end up working on a load of projects. And that has been what? Since 2004, basically almost two decades, I've just been literally, I've never really said no to anything. So I will get calls. Hey, can you speak at this church? Hey, can you come out to this conference? Hey, can you go there? I'm pretty much an evangelist, you know, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. I go and evangelize, I train up people, I teach at churches, I speak at schools, rehabs, whatever. It's a very loose everything ministry. I do the podcast Foolishness. I wrote a book, Never Fails, you know, Never Fails Marriage, working on an evangelism book. And really, you explain to me to someone, you'd be like, I don't really know what he does, but I know exactly what he does. He's somewhere sharing, doing something that, I mean, basically, I'm an evangelist. And I mean, the office of, not just evangelizing, so... I get emails, can I fill my calendar? And I go do that all year. I raise full-time support and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we've got the, the links in the show notes so you guys can check out the book. You can check out your website and look at the subject. Yeah. And, you know, your Instagram so you can kind of follow along with all those different things as well. Uh, but one thing, uh, you know, we're kind of crescendoing toward the end here. We've, we've mentioned it several times. Both you and I trained jujitsu. And to be honest yeah. with you, whenever I was made aware of you and whenever I looked through your profile and everything, for whatever reason, I was surprised to see you doing jujitsu, but then it yeah. makes total sense. It's like you do skateboarding where you're basically going to get hurt all the time. Might as well do jujitsu <laughs> where you're basically going to get hurt all the time. So, you know, yeah. obviously you, you're, you're skateboarding and then, you know, you're getting into ministry, you're doing all those things, but then yeah. jujitsu came calling like it does for so many of us. So how did you find your way into a jujitsu gym? Why do you keep training today? 
So, like I said, the Sour Patch with the UFC stuff, I always just loved it. The Bruce Lee, the early martial arts film, I just loved the motion. And a lot of it probably came from fear because if you and I are walking down the street in Liverpool mm. and someone hears your accent and they just say, hey, bleep the yank, blah, 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 <laughs> we're fighting. So yeah. I don't want to get beat up because in England you get on the floor, someone's kicking your face in. I make it to America. I'm in the skate world. Guess what? I have interviews in magazines and they ask me about ultimate fighting. Dana White sees that, calls me up. I come out to Vegas. I fly out there, stay in the hotels they own, hang out with him for those three days, start going to the events, meet all these fighters in this area, know all these people, you know, met Tito years ago, a lot of these guys. And then as I become a Christian, okay, Lord, what do I do with all this? Dana called me right when I became a believer. So I'm tied into this world, meeting all these fighters. And I mean, I got to sit and witness to him, share the gospel with him and his wife, everyone at dinner and all this stuff. I get, you know, the heart of where he is. And, and I mean, I honor the integrity for what I think he's trying to do, despite what a lot of people say. Mm-hmm. From that, I know all these guys. I'm a Christian. I'm a pastor. A couple of black belts come to our church. Hey, man. You know, Vandalay would come, Cyborg would come, Babalu. I've been friends of Babalu for a long time, sold out believer, you know, serious. Um, and one of the professors says, hey, would you mind coming to the gym and just hanging out? So many guys go through stuff. I think they could use someone pastorally. So my professor's a, you know, Christian. I go to the gym about six years ago. I start rolling and I tell the Lord, God, I am not going to become obsessed with this. I told, my, you know, I, I'm telling yeah. you, you know, because skating has been the only thing I've been that obsessed with. But you think about a black belt, you think about whatever. I'm a white belt. I go on a mission trip to Costa Rica within six months of being a white belt. I'm sharing at a gym and the guy comes over to me. He's like, do you do jujitsu? And I go, I just started. Hey, will you meet my professor? I go in the gym, meet the professor. He's teaching a class and he says, I'm going to change this right now. Will you show us a technique? He literally, I'm a white belt. He's a black belt. And he he literally, and I said, Lord, I'm only going to do this. I'm going to give it all to you. And as soon as you're done with me, jujitsu, let me. He has me share this technique. Probably one of the only things that I ever learned from someone. A checkmat black belt, it showed me. It was the technique the guy was going to show. And I've never seen it anywhere else. Only Leo Vieira does it. And the professor almost has tears in his eyes and he says i have not seen that technique since i was a blue belt i was going to show it tonight i can't believe this hey will you share your story the pastor i'm with connects with him goes to the gym he's a purple belt now Hmm. we go back in six months we do an outreach to the area because many kids are attacked raped women all the stuff one in six jujitsu i end up getting my blue belt and then I, so now I start traveling. I'm using skating. I'm using jujitsu. God has put me around all these people. So to me, as a 42 year old guy who doesn't wear spandex and flex, I'll go in the gym and roll around with you and have fun. I think I'm a purple belt with like two stripes. So I've been doing it for six or so years, seven years. But to me, it's this. It's, um, dude, I have guys from Flow Grappling hit me up. Hey, man, I watch all the stuff that you're doing. We're coming into town. Can we meet and get acai? I'll connect with all these like, you know, heavy guys who Brazilians are super open to God. So I'm like, Lord, if you want me to use this that I love, you know, and, and you don't really get head in jitsu unless you're rolling with goofballs or you're being a brute or it's an accident, you know, with a white belt. Right. So to me, it's like takes care of my health. It's fun. I probably talk to people more about jujitsu ministry than I do about skating anymore because skating's everywhere. Right. And I just, I feel like it's honestly a God thing. Again, like guys like Benny, who's been on the podcast or talking to these other guys and 
There's, you know, there's a guy, Jason Lambert, who actually um, fought mm-hmm. in the UFC years ago. I went to a UFC, witnessed to him while we were watching it, came to the church, came to faith, and he's a serious believer now. You know what I mean? Like literally came to faith. So I have these crazy stories. So to me, it's just like God using it. And and I go, you know, at least two, what, four to five times a week. And the gym, right. it's, it's a checkmat gym under a Gracie covering. It's transitioning, so... Well, yeah. the, the cool thing about it is, and I was just talking with uh, one of our brown belts at our school yeah. yesterday, and when when you're around someone for a length of time in the gym, you get a pretty good idea of who they actually are. Yeah, because you yeah. might know someone in the gym for a year or more before you know what they do for a living. Yeah. Because everyone's wearing a gi and a belt, right? <laughs> and so the thing that you know about that person is the belt colors tells you a little something about them. Yeah. But also how they roll tells you something about them. How they yeah. respond when they get tapped tells you a little something yeah. about them. It tells you whether or not you can trust them. Because if you see them a week later with their chest out like, hey, hey, I tapped this guy. You're yeah, not going to yeah, believe yeah. it because he's one of our best guys. It's like, okay, you, you just logged out of way in your brain. So jujitsu is a great, a great way for you to kind of understand that. And I have a group of guys that get together every Sunday mm. and we, we call it fight club, but we're all yeah. reading the same book. We come together and we Amen. talk about the book we were reading. I lead people through a workout and then we all train jujitsu. And these aren't guys with MMA backgrounds. These aren't guys yeah. that have a, you know, a collegiate wrestling pedigree. Yeah, they're these dads are just dudes. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're just dads in there. Some of them are like, Hey, I'm gonna be a white belt for my entire life, but this is, that's where they go. And it's, it's a workout. They, they get to learn how to fight a little bit. So jujitsu is just an incredible. Well, I'll tell you something funny though as you're saying this. Um, so you know, I mean, I was probably up to 246 when I was like, you know, my wife's mom had been sick. We we're at home a lot. There was so much COVID stuff, and so I'm like eating in more than that. So in the gym, they would call me like polar bear, you know, because I'm like big. And so <laughs> no. I was, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're like, so so we're releasing this to the world, polar bear. It's funny. So. I'm always, you know, in the gym, they call me pastor. You know, as soon as someone says something like wrong, they're like, dude, the pastor's here, you know, and I'm there like almost every day. So I invite this girl to church and she's a little Asian girl with her mask on, you know, and she comes in. I never even really seen her face. She comes in the back of the church and I always stand in the back kind of like watching and, mm-hmm. and pastor gets done. And is like, Hey, say hi to someone. And so there's a lady sitting here and she reaches over and says to the little Asian lady, how did you hear about the church? And she points to me and she says, Polar bear and the girl in the chair said, <laughs> yes. that's Pastor Brian and my friend next to me who didn't know they called me polar bears. I'm preaching this weekend and they're probably going to say polar bear, but I'm saying um, it is, I'm very passive because I always hated bullying and also there aren't that many guys like as big. So I will almost play defense a lot, kind of like Danaher said, Henzo Gracie got on him about and said, hey, you play this being real passive, you've got to also yeah. go and attack. <clears throat> I figure it more like this. I can either get one position and go and only do that and be the best guy at that in the gym, or I can kind of catch all these things. And as I get higher up the belt, I'm going to have more tools that are casually coming Mm -hmm. together. That's kind of how I am. So if I roll with you and you're like, Brian, I've got a tournament in a week and you really want to go, I'm like, oh, go, go crazy. I'm expecting you to try and do everything because I'm focused on your goal. But if you're just like, oh, hey, what's going on? I'm just like, yeah, whatever. So I'm going to do stuff. But – I don't care enough, but I care enough about the art and the school and the gym. And I'd say 75, 80% of the people in there are believers. A lot of conversation afterwards and a lot of scripture and just, you know, it's a religion like skating. Skating's a religion. Being a gangster's a religion. You know, NFTs or whatever you call them. It's yeah. a belief system. 
Jiu-jitsu, I'll tell you something funny. We did a big outreach once. I had Leo Vieira come speaking. You know, Leo's like, what, five-time world champion? Right. We have a little mini ramp, and there's probably a couple thousand people. He's so nervous, and there's like 100 people from Jiu-jitsu, all their ears, and he's super nervous. He speaks once, and I'm helping him, and I'm telling everyone what the techniques are while they're rolling, and all the Jiu-jitsu fighters are looking at me like, how does this guy know? Leo's doing pretty good, and then the next competition comes up, that the microphone goes out, and so they're like, hey, you have to have him go to the main stage. So Leo looks at me. There's like 10,000 people, one of the best grapplers in the world, super nervous to walk down to the main stage, shares his <laughs> testimony, gets done, and is like, this is what I want to do. So, you know, I think God's just raising a load of us up at the time. I know for you, where you'll be in your journey. I mean, this is just, you know, it's just becoming all things to all men. Like Paul said, if in a bank, skate park, on the mat, just hey, living it. That yeah. sounds like a great place to roll. So if I find myself uh, out there in California, I may have to run by. Quick story, though. I also have a jujitsu nickname. It might not yeah. be as cool as Polar Bear, but I had been training for about five or six months. So white belt, very, very green. You know, yeah. I'm 30, 31 years old. And Andre Galvao comes to our school to do a seminar, considered mm -hmm. to be one of the greatest ever. Mm -hmm. We're talking top three uh, greatest gi competitors ever. He's got a super fight coming up with Gordon Ryan, no gi, yeah. at ADCC this year. Um, but it's at the end of the seminar. It's after three hours, right? And for the last two hours of my life have been a blur. I don't even know the starting positions. I'm so confused. And he starts pointing at people to have to come out and roll with them, right? And so he points at this guy, he points at that guy. And I'm taking video of everybody because I'm I want them to have video of when they're rolling with one of the greatest of all time. Well, then he points at me and I'm like, oh no. Like mm -hmm. I suck. I'm a white belt and this guy's great. And as I walk out there to slap bump, he goes, Oh, you look like a Viking. And because my beard was a little longer, my hair was all over the place. And from that day on, guys at the gym have been Viking. calling me Viking. And the thing about it is, is it's like, you, you better be pretty good. It's like, if you're going to wear a pink gi and you're a guy, you better be a killer. Same thing if you're going to walk around yeah, with yeah. a nickname like Viking, you better yeah, go to yeah. class at least once a week. So uh, I, it's kind of the thing, just trying to live up to that name is kind of where I'm at. But Brian, good name. Yeah. We've, covered a, we've covered a lot of ground in this conversation, but I want to end with this. Mm. I do a segment towards the end of my interviews. Yeah. It's called, what would you say to someone that said. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, what would you say to someone that said, and I'm going to fill in the blank and you have 30 seconds maximum to give me your answer regardless yeah. of the subject. Okay. So this is our lightning round. Okay. So you up for it? Yeah. Okay. Let's get into it. We'll ease into it here. Okay. What would you say to someone that said, Tony Hawk is the greatest skateboarder of all time? I could say, I agree with that to the degree of what he's done. Yeah. I could, but are the people more technical, better? But yeah, I could, I could agree with that. I okay. have to say Mark Gonzalez and Rodney Mullen, what they brought to us, but I could say Tony, yeah. Yeah, Lassick, Burnquist, there's a lot of other names. All right, oh, let's yeah. keep going. What would you say to someone that said, even Christ couldn't fix my wife? <laughs> <laughs> well, he died for her, so really the burden's on her. Christ will love the church that he gave himself for her, so... Christ can, but in her stubbornness, if she hears his voice and rejects it, if she's not one of his sheep, then that's on her. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said the only football is American football? Um, I'd say get this guy some coffee and some water because you don't even really use your foot <laughs> and that loaf of bread thing. Um, you know what? Football players, though, over here, they're tough. They're not like, you know, soccer players back there, sadly. I'll tell you this. Do you know where the name uh, soccer comes from? I don't guess I do. No. It's the dumbest thing ever. 
an American called it associate football, and out of associate, they just got the word soccer. And I'm like, that's it. You know, that's that's it. So yeah, we're gonna blame that on someone from Canada because there's yeah. no way an American yeah. came up with that. All right, next one here. What would you say <laughs> to someone that said Christianity and the skateboarding community can't mix? There's too mm-hmm. much darkness in that lifestyle. Um, skateboarding's neutral. You know, it's whatever it is. It's um, influence. They say music and skating are the two most influential things in America. They influence from the coasts. So I would say, um, again, become more things to all men. The skateboard itself is nothing. And I'm going to use that, whatever's in my hand. God used prostitutes, tax collectors. You know, skating isn't a sin. So use that platform to reach people like the mats, like everything else we're doing. All right, next one here. What would you say to someone that said, the Beatles are super overrated? <laughs> my mom used to see the Beatles in the in the cavern. My sister's friends and some of their family members. And what they did at the time, I would say, go watch that new show that just came out on Disney. Paul McCartney, I did not realize it, is like Mozart or someone. It is shocking. It is shocking. And I would say, no, what they did at the right time, their American influence from Buddy Holly and blues and all the rest. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way. They're too famous. You know, and I've always kind of preferred them to Elvis, my wife, Elvis, <clears throat> to the Beatles. You know, I don't even listen to them that much because they're so good. I don't need to think about it. You know, it's well, just like. I yeah. feel like I should be talking to your wife right now because yeah. she's clearly the one that's right. Elvis, Elvis is far superior to those silly little weird haircutted <laughs> Beatles. But you know what? We'll move on. Well, did Elvis ever write one song? Probably. Well, this is no, my interview. No, this is no, my interview, Brian. No. I'm the one that asks the questions. Do you okay? have a son whose middle name is Presley? What? Do you have the, a son whose middle name is Presley? I, I don't, but I probably should have another one just so I could do that. Yeah, I do. Dakota Presley Sumner. Okay, that might be the dopest name I've ever heard for a kid. I automatically am super disappointed see, in my choices. God, okay, thanks for you know bringing me down here towards the end. All right, I just got a few more questions. Your son's for you. middle name's Lennon, right? Uh, yeah, I might as well take. Might as well take a dive on the tomorrow. No, no, we're not going to edit this part out. I'm not letting, I'm letting this part get out to the world. All right, just a few more for you, Brian. Yeah. What would you say to someone that said, "I'm scared to skateboard. I'm afraid I'll get hurt." I would say. Um, I'm cautious too. put your feet over the bolts, knees over your feet, hips over your knees, get a good base, maybe put a helmet, I mean, put a helmet on, but yeah, you can learn. But if you're over 30, 40, try and impress the kids, guys, get low to the ground, get something big. Cause too many dads with dad bods wreck their legs. You slam bad if you don't know what you're doing, but go to the skate park. Someone will help you out. They love it. Right. All right. Yeah. A couple more left here. What would you say to someone that said, I'm scared to train jujitsu. I'm afraid I'll get hurt. I'd say you should be scared not to train jujitsu because you have five takedowns, a couple chokes. I mean, you know, you know, the first time we got on the mat and someone put some pressure on your face, you think you're going to die. Right. I don't even notice anymore. I get neon bellied and, and that whole saying, I'm a lover, not a fighter. The fact that you are a lover should be why you train jujitsu. Guys, Kelly Slater said it. Jiu-jitsu is the first sport you should put your kids in. Not because it's a sport, because it's a self-defense mechanism. I love it. It's so relaxing. It's so peaceful. It's a family unit. And go to jiu-jitsu, some people. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, man. Last question of the day. What would you say to someone that said, I can't figure out how to fix my marriage. I'm desperate. Um, well, Jesus told them, Moses permitted you to divorce because of your hardness of heart. And if we are Christians, we don't have a hard heart. We have the Holy Spirit. 
and with God all things are possible. And God said, the son of God brings together, let no man separate. So I would say for you, our problem in America is we've been raised on Disney. We have a mindset that life is about me. I'm going to live here. We're going to have this much sex, make this much money, enjoy this much downtime, do as much jujitsu, white picket fence. And God says, no, 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 seek first the kingdom. I would tell you, die to self like Jesus did for his wife. Go into battle for that wife. Cover her like Christ loved the church and start believing for a miracle. Because if you are 20 right now, 25, 30, you're like, what is this marriage thing? Yeah, you guys related and all the good things when you met. She looks hot. She looks beautiful. I can't wait for the matting day. Well, you know what? Now there's diapers. Now there's a boss. Now he's trying to go to jujitsu. You're relating in the chaos. Keep going. Love will never fail. I love that we've talked about men. Guys, stand tall, fight for your marriage, because if you trust Christ, if you're not running towards sin, it will always prevail. God brought one woman to Adam, and she was a standard of beauty, and he actually put man out the way at that time. So I just I tell a lot of guys this. Um, die to self, get in the word, and commit yourself to her. And the Bible says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Maybe she's mad at the church. Maybe she's mad at you. Maybe she's walking towards sin. But God wants to use you to show her the love of Christ. Focus on that. Don't bail because it's never really over. You're still going to be in each other's life to some degree. So, Right, man, I love it. I think that's a great place to leave it. But that is all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? You know, I just love jumping in and being as free as this. And to the Americans, listen, who still think I'm speaking in tongues, I'm not. You know, English people, <laughs> you, you do a good job because even Oklahoma 20 years ago, people are more like watching my accent, like, what's he doing? We right. need to engage, jump in. I say English people are more like that dry humor, kind of what Ted Lasso. So I love this stuff. You know, just I'm here to put the truth out, people to hear. But if it relates to my life and the things we love, Praise God he used that, you know, to get to people. So that's great. That's yeah, why we're here, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, Brian Sumner, thank you for coming on Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Thanks for having me, brother. I'll see you on the mats. God bless. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Brian Sumner. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So here are the links I've got for you today. I've got a link to Brian's website. I've got a link to his I Am Second film, his Instagram, and also his book, Never Fails, a 30-day marriage devotional. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this show. We do appreciate it wherever you're listening to this. Please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And we want to also thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>